So we appreciate the prayer of Brother Anthony and um, even as uh, Brother Joe shared last night, lifting up our eyes, I think that's kind of the intention or the intent of the Father series, that we would just lift our eyes up and see how great our Father is. And interestingly enough, I'm a little torn as to how to present this. Um, obviously, I'm prepared with, with uh, several presentations, but I want to present the Father and so in this first session, we're going to talk a little bit about the Father, but primarily what we're going to do through the week is as we discuss these different uh, action verbs, like this morning is begotten, hopefully as we look at some of the things God does, we're going to see more of the Father. So that's uh, not really a, a paradox or a contradiction, but my point is, is we're going to be speaking about these these uh, sections underneath the Father. So the first one is begotten, and this is in your your uh, schedule. So this is a little redundant. Not yet. I okay. don't think just, so. No. I could say that. Yeah. Okay. What he was asking is in the back. Uh, there are some notes there. Some of you already turned to them. Where I have some recap slides at a later point, and if you want to open to the back, you'll see some of the recaps there, but um, I'd be fine if you just keep your eyes on the screen for the moment, but however you do, if you're a note taker all along, that's fine. But they are in there. Thank you, Anthony. So as I was saying, we're going to spend this morning on begotten. Tomorrow is on the Father provides, the Father directs, the Father disciples, and lastly, my section will be legacy. The Father leaves a legacy. And as we look at these, I'm, I'm saying that these, these under subtitles are going to help us understand who the Father is. So let's start with this first one. And there's a little tagline that was given to us with each one of these, giving me new life. So this morning we're going to talk about this, this subject in three areas. And I'm not probably going to tell you when we're going from one section to another, but unless I uh, happen to be cognizant of it, but I want to talk about the Father, and that's something that we'll never get done explaining or describing, So, but we're going to give it a little bit of a, a, an attempt. Then I want to talk about begotten, and that's going to have to do more with what we think of in the natural sense, and then we're going to get to this begotten again, which is really where we're talking about the bulk of our, our teaching this morning, giving us new life, or begotten again. So I want to, uh, this little passage here in James 1, uh, 17 and 18, we're going to kind of uh, feature the, the, these two verses in every one of the sessions. And every time we get to this point in the, in the session, I'd like for us to read this verse, these verses uh, together uh, simultaneously. So let's read it. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father now notice if you see the emboldened letters, I assume they show up there. We have the Father and we have the God. And that's really our topic this morning. And James is telling us quite a bit in these verses, and we'll probably work on these uh, as we go through the week. But let's talk about this word begotten, just by definition. Begotten, begot, beget. It's all the same, just different tenses of the word and how it's used. But here's the definition. To bear, to bring forth, to birth, 
to generate. And so what we're going to suggest that this only alludes to or implies in order for there to be something begotten, there must be a father. There cannot be begetting or begotting or begotten unless there's a father. And obviously that's what we're wanting to talk about today. Just a little statistics, maybe father is used 1,126 times in the Bible, 750 times in the Old Testament, and 369 times in the New Testament. The bulk of the times that it's used in the Old Testament is referring to just like Abraham's father or, or, or Isaac's father, Jacob's father, natural fathers. But as you, as you look into the Old Testament, there are a few times, and I think it's 15, and I'll maybe have a slide on that, but I went back and I began to look at what does the Old Testament tell us about the father, not, it, not natural human fathers. But I believe this is one of the first mentions of the Father in the Old Testament. This is found in Deuteronomy. Do ye thus requite the Lord, O foolish people and unwise? Is not He thy Father that hath bought thee? Hath He not made thee and established thee? And I want you to see at the bottom, we're going to see kind of what the Father's like. He bought, He made, He established. Another Old Testament reference to the Father, Isaiah 63, Doubtless thou art our Father, though Abraham be ignorant of us, and Israel acknowledge us not. Thou, O Lord, art our Father, our Redeemer, thy name is from everlasting. Again, He redeems, He's everlasting. I believe in one more here in Isaiah 64. Now, O Lord, thou art our Father, we are the clay, and thou art potter, we are all the work of thy hand. And as you think about those mentions of the Father in the Old Testament, they all have reference to being the Father of Israel, the nation of Israel. Here it is. God the Father is mentioned 15 times in the Old Testament, usually meaning the Father of Israel. But what's so interesting is the teaching of the fatherhood of God takes a, a decided turn, is the way I, I list it out here, when we get to Jesus. He uses the term 65 times in the Synoptic Gospels, 100 times in John, total of 165 times. And, and so what I think we want to understand with this is, is that, that the Father in the New Testament becomes personal, much more so. He's not, he's no longer just this, this Godhead over a nation called Israel that's over a corporate structure, but he's going to become very personal. The Father is personal. And you say, well, Jesus could call him Father 165 times, but how do you know he's our Father, your Father, my Father? So let me give you a sampling of Scriptures. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father, which is in secret. Jesus speaking to disciples. After this manner, therefore, pray ye our Father, which art in heaven, speaking to the disciples. What I'm trying to suggest is that it's not just Jesus' Father, Although it is, He's our Father. He's becoming very intimate and personal. Jesus saith unto her, this is after the resurrection, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascended to my Father, and your Father, and to my God, and your God. Now, He's speaking to Mary Magdalene, but that's what we all are, just like her. Then we go into the epistolary writings of the Apostle, and he says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Very intimate 
very close and personal. So, that's a little bit about the Father, but I want to get a little bit more specific. As we look here in James 1, he says he's the Father of lights. Of lights. What does that mean? It just simply means luminous, rays, and brilliant. And so, maybe you're like me, maybe some uh, visual aids help. When you think about the Father of lights, this is just an artist's rendition. I suppose it's somewhat inadequate. But you notice as you get closer to the Father, it just blows the color out. It's just the Father of brilliance. Here's another uh, illustration. But this is who our Father is. He's the Father of lights. And if you were to kind of put some of that in, in wording, here's, here's some words that these are again vocabulary fails us, but He's holy and undefiled. When you think about purity and light and brilliance, holy, undefiled, He's unchanging, or, or He's static. He is not dynamic. He's certain and sufficient. Just some words that we're putting together. He's all-powerful or omnipotent. He's all-knowing or omniscient. He's everywhere present. He's unprecedented and unsurpassed. He's self-existent and everlasting. These are just words, and I could go on, and on, and on, and here's what we get back to. He's the Father of lights. And I know that's just fonts that's in the white color, but just somehow if it can impress us, this is who He is. He's brilliant. James goes on to say that He has no shadow of turning. Or no variableness, I'm sorry. Or no shadow of turning is the next one. But they both are saying the same thing. He is certain and He is stable. There's not even a hint of change in this Father of ours. So now let's go back to this begot. I know, as I said, we haven't done justice to describing our Father, but I want to move now to begotten. Of His own will, begot He us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. The question then is this, how is one begotten? And again, I refer you to James. I don't want to get real controversial here, but we're just going to kind of leave it at this. It's of His own will. How is He begotten? Of His own will and by the word of His truth. Here's proof. I'm suggesting that as you think about how we were begotten, this is the word of His truth. This is God. This is His own will. And this is His word. He said, let us make man in our own image. Vince covered this yesterday in Genesis chapter 1. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God created He Him. Male and female created He them. So really, in essence, we, we come to this realization. Now, he didn't actually maybe form you of the dust, but he created Adam and Eve. They had children. They had children. And down through the ages, seven and a half billion today. I don't know how many people have been alive since the beginning. But what I'm suggesting is in the fact that God created Adam and Eve, he created all of us in that same image and likeness. So we're talking about being begotten in the natural sense. Here you are, here I am at one day old. There's two little dots here, I don't know if you can see them, but in, in scale to the needle, this is what your mother contributed, this is what your father contributed, 
just a little tiny bit of DNA, and at that moment you started to form 100,000 cells per second at the point of conception. Heart cells, brain cells, fingernail cells, eye cells, they all knew where to go, and they all put themselves in an array according to the DNA structure of your parents. Let's fast forward 99 more days, and now you're starting to take shape. You're begotten. It's by His Word, by His will, and by His Word. Today, when you sit here, this is what you're made up of in the sense of natural begottenness. We're pretty much all alike. 206 bones, 640 muscles, 78 more major organs, 60,000 miles of veins and arteries, a gallon and a half of blood, 10 and a half gallons of water, 5 million hair follicles, dot, dot, dot. In essence, 30 to 40 trillion cells, each cell with as much activity as the city of Chicago. So what we're seeing in, in this, this little scientific but very incomplete set of statistics is you are begotten and no wonder you're very, you're very complex. David, the psalmist would say this, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And certainly we are. But let's move now to more than just the natural. But let's take a look at Genesis 2-7 and you see what I have underlined. But, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. That's your body, my body. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That's our spirit. And man became a living soul. That's our soul. If you've seen this word, perhaps you're familiar, tripartite. It means three parts. God made us in his image. I believe he made us in the image similarly to the Trinity. Three parts in the Trinity, three parts in you and I. Spirit relates to God. Soul relates to other people. Body relates to our environment. A little more description. The spiritual is, is the consciousness, the mind, the logic, the intuition. And I know these two are kind of hard to separate, the soul and the spirit. But the soul is the emotional side, the feelings, the desires, guilt. And of course, we all understand the body, the see, feel, taste, hear, smell, very, very clear. But you remember, and I know this is all familiar, God had told them, these tripartite beings, you're going to die if you eat of the wrong fruit. You remember this passage? He commands them, he can, they can eat of any tree. But then he says, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Notice in the yom, in the day, in the 24-hour period, I'm suggesting that something died that day that they did this. I want to say that this is what died. That part that relates to God died. Now we know that Adam lived to be 930 years. That he eventually dies. I'm going to suggest that the soul part never dies. There is a verse in Ezekiel that says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. If you do some work on that word soul, I think it's describing the person or the human. But the soul needs to be intact so that Adam and Eve can feel emotion. They can feel guilt. They can feel shame. They can feel a need for redemption. I, God leaves the soul intact. The spirit died immediately. The body died eventually, the soul never died. 
So consequently, for the subject at hand, I'm going to suggest that this is the part that needs begotten again. It's our spirit. We need this new life. And I want to just say this, this is probably obvious, but being begotten is about a relationship with the Father. This is accomplished by giving our spirits new life. And I want to just make this clear, not everybody that you meet have a renewed spirit. They're not all God's children in the sense of being born again. They're all God's children in the sense that they are loved by God and created by God. But all of the difference lies in this phrase here, that we come to Him in relationship by faith in Christ. And if you're not by faith in Christ, you're not begotten again and the Spirit is still dead. So let's look at a few, few verses about being begotten again. Jesus with Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He goes on and he says, and notice... Another reason why I think that the Spirit is the part that needs regenerated is He keeps referring to the Spirit. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, which is going, we're going to see connects to our spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell where it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And then, of course, we see this in the epistles. Paul writes, The Spirit itself, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. This is testimony that we are born again. A few more passages in Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again. And then He tells us what that begottenness does. It brings us into a lively hope. And I say that it's, it's caused and funded and made possible by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I believe this was quoted in the service yesterday. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God. Again, we were begotten, He begot us by His will and by the word of His truth. So we asked the question, how is one begotten? And we said it was by His will and by the word of truth. And we're going to suggest that it's the same thing in the spiritual. But I want to look at a passage now in John chapter 1. He came unto His own. I'm still trying to answer this question now of how is one begotten again? He came into His own, and His own received Him not. I think we understand that to be He came to His own nation, the Jews. And they didn't receive Him. But some of the Jews did receive Him. And to them gave He power to be begotten again or become the sons of God. And then I believe this next phrase is talking about you and I as Gentiles. I may be too contextually tight here, but my point is, is he came unto the Jews. Most of them didn't receive Him. Some of them did, Jews. And to them He gave power to become the sons of God. And He even gave power, or He gave this opportunity to Gentiles that will believe on His name. And then comes this, this, this phrase that's been debated throughout history. And I don't want to get controversial, but, but we're talking about how we are being born again and it's not of blood, or the best word I could put there is your tribe or your pedigree or your family name. That's not how you get born again. 
nor of the will of the flesh, not some human decision, nor of the will of man, which these are all sort of synonymous in a bit, but the, the underlying portion is how we get born again. And I'm going to just kind of leave it right there. I don't want to get into a lot of controversy, but just leave it at this again. How are we born again? Of His own will. Not ours. And so that's what bothers me a little bit when, you know, our culture we come from, we say, well, I just got a little bit older in life. I thought it was probably about time that I joined the church. And so I just made a decision. And I don't, I don't want to just tear that apart too much, but I want to remind us that we do not choose when we're born naturally. Our father does and our mother. And it's the same way in the spiritual. Let's not get too human-centered. Let's recognize that it's of His own will that we are begotten. So how does one receive Him and believe on His name? That was a phrase that comes from John 1 there. As many as received Him, gave He power to become the sons of God, and as many as believe on His name. And so I want to go through a passage here in Romans, and I'm excited about this. Maybe just some things here that I've seen here recently. Maybe we could start right here. If you could just read and just come right on down. You read the first part and the second and so forth. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Let's start right going, Nathan. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report. So then faith cometh by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. So we're seeing the same thing here in the underlying portion. How is it that we we come to know? Well, it comes through the word of God. And so just a few icons to illustrate that how we get this belief and how we receive so that we can be begotten. We get it from the word, the Bible, scripture, we get it from preaching, we get it from hymn hymns, hymnody. And I just have this bottom one here. That's the family of God, the people of God. And so when we're with each other, we, we get exposure to the gospel. But again, he does that with the word of his truth. And notice this phrase. I skipped over it, but this is the part that's exciting to me. And I, I would appreciate any input you have on this. But um, let's see. Go ahead. You read that, please. They have not all read the gospel. For Isaiah so, there's a secret or a key here, I'm going to suggest, as to how you become begotten again. And it has to do with obeying the gospel and, and believing our report. This word obeyed means to listen intently. So when we're reading the word and you're having your devotions and, and you want to be exposed to the gospel and how it is that you can be begotten again, I'm not suggesting that you need to be born again. You probably most of you are. But when you have someone that needs new birth, they need to listen intently to the word of, of, of to the word which it contains the gospel, and they also need to believe the report. And so, what is the report? Now, most of us German Baptists, we've heard Isaiah fifty-three all our life, I think, as you get, went to communions. 
But you remember Isaiah 53 asked this question, Who hath believed our report? I have a reason I'm going down this, this trail, but just bear with me. But let's just talk about the, the report. Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53 gives us a description of the report. First of all, it says the Messiah will be exalted, extolled, be very high. It also says in the latter part of the 52nd chapter that the Messiah's visage was marred more than any man. It says the Messiah suffered being despised and rejected. The Messiah bore the iniquity of us all. The Messiah's soul was made an offering for sin. The Messiah's soul travail satisfied the Lord. And lastly, the Messiah's sacrifice justifies many by bearing sins and interceding for the transgressor. Now that's seven. There may be a lot more to the report. But I'm suggesting that this is what Paul is saying in Romans 10. They have not all believed this. They have not obeyed the gospel. They're not letting the report come in to their ears or into their mind or into their heart. Here, here, here's a little diagram. I'm a visual person. The report needs to come in through our portals of our ear and into the mind of our understanding. And when that happens, our spirit, which is the portion that needs rebirthed, is born again. It produces faith that plops down into our heart, which was hard, becomes soft, a new heart, equals begotten again, and Romans 10 would say that all of a sudden, we have a confession that comes out of our mouth. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. By the time you get here, all of this has happened. And so you can, you can fake this. You can say the right words, say the right things, and say that you're confessing, but you may or may not be begotten again. Here's what happened to me for many years. I knew what the report said, or I thought I did, but the lightning bolt here represents blockage. So the report came in, or tried to, but something stopped it. The spirit remains dead, heart is in unbelief, it's hard, I'm not born again, and I have no confession. So up on the right here are those seven points of what I think the report is. Remember, those that did not believe the, the gospel or obey the gospel and did not believe the report are the ones, I believe, that were not born again that Paul's describing in Romans 10. Here are three points that I think people stumble over that cause blockage of the report coming into their spirit. The Jews struggled right here. I don't think we as Gentiles or American Christians deal with this, but they said, no way. Messiah can't suffer. That was not in their template for the Messiah. Messiah wasn't a substitute. You'll hear this from place to place, atonement theory to atonement theory. And this has to do with if the Messiah wasn't a substitute, I have to be my own performance and my own works to get myself right with God. This is something that I dealt with. I wasn't even aware that I didn't believe that he was a substitute, but this is why I believe the report was stopped up. And then there's this person. They may believe this, that yeah, he suffered. Yes, he was a substitute. But 
I don't really think he suffered or his sacrifice didn't really justify me. This is something that we deal with on different levels. And there's a lot of reasons why people get here. Spiritual abuse, sexual abuse, verbal abuse, emotional abuse, all kinds of abuses. Could be just a misunderstanding of the Word of God. But there are a lot of places that I find of people that struggle to believe that the Messiah was really for them. So, I'm just going to try to dispel or debunk these claims with Scripture in order to say that He did too suffer. The Jews didn't accept it. They didn't believe the report. But I'm just going through and I want to debunk these. So, so let's keep going. Let's see. I think it's at Garrett. You start right here, please. And I will put in between me and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head just let me interrupt there. This would have been an early passage, Genesis. The Jews would have known there would have been something coming. They probably wouldn't have associated that with suffering, but there was something that was going to happen to the Messiah that they should have seen. Okay, go ahead. The dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Okay. Let's start here again. Right here. Or upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me, and they appear, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. So the point again here is that these scriptures, at least in part, and probably maybe there's some better ones that I've missed, I think point to the fact that Messiah did indeed suffer. This is part of the report. Messiah wasn't a substitute. Okay, where are we at over here? Thank you. Go ahead. For he hath made him to be sin for us, and we did sin, we might be made the righteousness of God in him. For Christ also hath one suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, and be put to death in the flesh, but put in God's spirit. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. So I, I would say those are very explicit that Jesus was a substitute for us. So he was a substitute. Let's take this this one next. Go back over to the, the boys. You start right here. So this starts out telling us that we're all in the same category. We're all sinners. We've all come short of the glory of God, but we are justified freely. Um, and it's through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And here it tells us that God was able to save face, you might say, or be the just and the justifier. He was able to deal with sin and yet offer a substitutionary benefit to all of humanity that we're all sinners 
by from birth. Let's just go on. There's a couple of more here, and this, let me just, uh, I'll read these myself, but this is out of Romans chapter 4. Uh, Abraham was fully persuaded that what God had promised, God was able to perform, and therefore it was imputed to Abraham for righteousness. So this is again pointing to the fact that we can be made right through faith. Now he goes on and he says, Now it was not written for Abraham's sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed. And here again is this key, that faith in Christ Jesus. If we believe on Him that raised up Jesus from our raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. And Jesus was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. And then we go into Romans 5 and he says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So all I'm suggesting to us is that the Messiah's sacrifice most certainly did justify you and me if we believe and if we have faith in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm just saying that what, what I dealt with as a person, I don't know if anyone can relate, is it was just, there was just this sense that I wasn't good enough. I wasn't good enough, enough of the time. Um, there were repetitive sins in my life. Uh, there were a whole host of reasons that I just said, well, that sounds really good. And that may well be something you can read in scripture, but I struggled to let that connect into my spirit, into my heart, and a confession that was honest and true was missing. And I don't know if that is anywhere close to any of your struggles, but what I want to say is, is that if you want to know how you're begotten again in the spirit, it's by faith in what God has done through Jesus Christ. And perhaps this is redundant. I hope it is. But Messiah indeed justify you that comes to him by faith. So then we we read this in Second Corinthians five. Now I forget where we're at. Is it your turn? You go ahead. Therefore, if any man be a Christ, he is a creature. So this is the condition then of the person who's born again. And I think Vince might have said this in his preaching that he knew Eric in the Spirit, or I forget who he was talking about. One of the deacons, Vince, was saying, we know each other, maybe in the flesh, but the primary way that we know each other is the fact that we are new creatures. And that's what that's what happens to born-again people is we come together in a setting like this and we need to believe and hope and know each other more so in the Spirit than with maybe our last name or what we think of as in the flesh. So I'm going to just do a little recap here, and this is really where your your papers, I think, are, are kind of correlating with this. It takes a father to beget. And I want to just emphasize again that when I say it takes a father to beget, the children are the not the ones that beget themselves. It's of his own will and his word that we are begotten even the first time, and begotten the second. Okay, this is something that we really didn't spend a lot of time on, but I think it's it's very uh, precious that Jesus opened up a personal connection that we now have with the Father. 
And it took place because it says in Hebrews that He brought many sons to glory. I think the concept is, is that through His atonement, He's brought us into that Abba-Father relationship that we have through Jesus. The Father, again, paling in comparison to probably the way it really is, but He's full of light, all things good, unprecedented, unsurpassed. The Father begot us naturally, but because of sin, we must be begotten again in our spirit. The Father begets us through faith, which comes from His Word, and His Word explains the report. What happens is the report comes into our understanding, creates faith, drops down into our heart, equals begotten again, and we confess with our mouth. And here's a little thing that was a signal for me. I didn't really have much of this. Um, maybe I still lack in that to some extent. I'm not saying we need to be um, zealots. But just take a look at your heart. If you don't have a tendency or a desire to want to confess Jesus, maybe work this backwards and just ask yourself, what am I doing or have, what have I done with the report or have I fully accepted the gospel? Have I obeyed the gospel? The report teaches, I mean, this is probably more than I, I'm not trying to say this is the only thing, but the report teaches that the Messiah suffered, was a substitute, and He justifies the sinner. Begotten, giving me new life. So, as we go through the week, we're going to find out a lot more about the Father. The next one is about provides. Um, God provides, and hopefully we could see in even the testimony or the, the presentation this morning that God provides a way for us to be begotten. And so I don't want anyone to feel uh, like this was negative, but I want us to be aware that God has prerogatives on this whole thing of new birth. And we simply need to put ourselves into the Word of God and believe the Gospel, the report, and I think God will begin to change and work in our hearts. So I put a couple of questions at the bottom, and they may not be the right ones in your handout, but I think the first one was, um, do, I feel, do I feel close to my Heavenly Father? Um, and a lot of times that has to do with your relationship with your earthly father, but hopefully through the week we can we can bring us into focus as we lift our eyes on high that we can be very close because of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Do I struggle with any part of the report? Maybe there's another way to say that. Maybe that's just the way I've canned it up in this presentation, the report. Is there anything in there that I struggle with to believe? And then lastly, uh, do I have a testimony or a confession? Things to consider and just examine our hearts as we consider the Father and begotten. So I'd like to close with a word of prayer and then I'll be finished. Bow our heads. Our Father, in heaven and in earth, we approach Thee through the atoning sacrifice, the finished work 
of your Son, Jesus Christ, who really is the express image of who you are. May you be, may you, Lord Jesus, be exemplified, emphasized is the word I want, in this, in this week together, that we might draw closer to who you are as that express image of our Father in heaven. And so, Lord, I pray for each one of these students, each of our hearts, even as staff, things we're dealing with, we're going through in life, that you would just reach in and touch us wherever we need to be touched. And that this issue of begotten would just be sweet to, to our ear and to our heart. It would cause in us a confession, a way in which that we want to share who you are to those around us. So we just pray that your presence would continue to work with us through the teaching in the next few speakers and throughout this week. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.